We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. He has been one of my favorite players on Burnley since I first saw him play at Burnley. So feel free to remove him right now. Correct. Yeah, I'm gone. (laughs) Let let me just tweet that. (laughs) This is the Fantasy Soccer Podcast, brought to you by rotowire.com, your premier source for fantasy sports. For news, rankings, projections, DFS lineup optimizers, and more, head over to rotowire.com slash soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Gottlieb and Andrew Laird. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. I am your host, Mike Gottlieb, and with me, as always, is Andrew Laird, but you already knew that. And if I sound sweaty, it's not because I spent 30 minutes on Draymond Green's Snapchat page. It's because we have an extra special guest with us. It's Dr. John Wallen, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you guys for having me. Love doing this show. Uh, We are very excited. We always get significantly smarter whenever you join the podcast. So uh, (laughs) we'll we'll try to raise our intelligence level from zero to one to to, to help out, at least to get things moving in a positive direction. So Andrew and John, um, we both are – actually, all three of us are going to be participating in the Taga League that's going to be coming up. Uh, next Tuesday on the 9th. And 
I just want to know exactly your entire draft strategy so I know how to adjust my own and not tell you mine. No, um, I do uh, I do want to preface this by saying we are going to be doing a lot of season-long talk and draft league talk, so uh, I'm very excited, and Taga is, I think, the best interface and the best scoring system standard-wise for this, for this format. And with that in mind, John, I know that you have been working on a whole bunch of content, and I'd like to start... You know, we, uh, we, we could discuss Neil's article, too, but I want to discuss, like, the overall draft strategy, how it's different than weekly. Sure. Um, thank you guys very much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have both you guys back in um, our uh, premier experts league. It's uh, a 12-team league, and I think that when we look at prepping for a draft, we probably don't look at prepping for a 12-team draft. We probably look at tre- prepping for an 8- or a 10-team draft which is what most of our leagues are and mike you participated in our latest round of mock drafts which was a 10-team mock draft it went up this past sunday we're going to put those results out and i know that a lot of people would like the opportunity to do that currently we don't have that functionality we do encourage people to to prep to mock draft a little bit but the, the number one thing i think people need to do when they're prepping for this format is expand their scope of knowledge with respect to the Premier League. When you play in a, in a traditional league, as both you guys know, a, a salary cap league, you end up looking at five, six, seven, maybe 10 players at a position. You look at the players that have like a really high ownership. You look at players that are considered good differentials. You look at goal scorers, and you look at defenders on teams that keep a lot of clean sheets. That's pretty much the entire scope. I mean, you don't need to look at Ben Mee at Burnley. You know, you don't need to look necessarily uh, at somebody like Juan Cuadrado, who, I mean, honestly, is out the door at Chelsea. But in a draft league, if Juan Cuadrado was still at Chelsea come September 2nd, all of a sudden he's a player that has some value. You know, the same thing could be said of Craig Gardner at West Brom or um, somebody like uh, Kurt Zuma at Chelsea. You know, these guys who are... They're very good. They're well-known. They're exceptional real-life players. Taga's scoring format does a better job, draft scoring format does a better job of capturing their value for fantasy purposes. So I think the first thing you need to do is expand expand your zone. I think both you guys are really good at doing that. You have incredibly good depth of knowledge. And then the second thing that you need to do is you need to come in understanding that the draft means one player, one team. So you always need to have a backup. If you're targeting N'Golo Kante, you think his move to Chelsea is going to be really good for him, but all of a sudden N'Golo Kante goes in your draft, you can't scramble. You don't want to end up with Bastian Schweinsteiger on your team. You know, you don't want to end up with Lucas Levia on your team. You need to know that right there in that same bracket, that same tier, however you're categorizing those players are. Sec Fabregas, you know, um, somebody like maybe Juan Mata, if you believe he's going to get a transfer out of Manchester United, somebody like Ahmed El Mohamedi from Hull, right? So you have these guys in your mind. And to that end, we went out and we created this uh, cheat sheet at Taga, which you can find at cheatsheet.playtaga.com, which includes the top 160 overall players ranked in the Premier League, as well as um, individual position ranks broken out by forward, midfielder, defender, and goalkeeper. You guys have had a chance to look at this. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are. But we ended up ranking um, 170 players on that, including 40 forwards, 20 goalkeepers, obviously, 50 defenders, and we went 60 deep on midfielders. So you're getting all the way down into the James McLean, the Junior Stanislauses, the Etienne Capues, all those guys. Um, so that's how, I, that's how I approach draft. I know both of you guys have very different takes on that, though. So... <laughs> I'd be curious to hear how your approach is different from mine. So 
uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm probably the most famous, or not the most famous, the most outspoken anti-defender um, uh, person on, on at least on the experts and probably in the general public. I tend to not pay for any kind of defender, and it's be- and we went over this last summer when we met up in New York City. You know, my my point is, if you can guess the top five defenders, all power to you. I just don't think you can. And they change all too much. And then when you get past the top five, they're all kind of very similar. And I'm just not going to try to predict the top five. It's just too much of an outlier. With that in mind, though, Andrew, I know that we both also differ in how we rank our midfielders and what we look for. So uh, just at least from your point of view, midfield, which is the deepest position, you know, ranking the top 60, as you just said, um, what do you look for when you try to get a midfielder? Specifically in Taga, I've always just gone, I've essentially just sorted the available players by chances created and and gone from there. There are obviously a few other categories that that you need to focus on, but chances created is the reason Mesut Ozil is the the top overall player and why Kevin De Bruyne and Dimitri Payet are right after that. Um, One of the things I really like about um, this Taga cheat sheet is not only does it do the full top 160, but on the positional rankings, they break it down by tier. And that gives you kind of a better idea of like where you can drop off or, or wait a little bit on certain positions. But it also kind of helps prove our point of the top tier defenders, uh, according um, to the cheat sheet, is five deep. It's Hector Bellerin, Virgil van Dyke, Luke Shaw, Christian Fuchs, and Kyle Walker, none of which anybody would have picked to be in the top five at the beginning of last year. In fact, we were all over Kieran Trippier last year ahead of Kyle Walker. Um, I don't know who this we is. <laughs> that's right. You you may have questioned that a little bit, but uh, you you also probably love Kieran Trippier more than anybody else that I know. I do. Um, so that kind of shows, or at least kind of helps me feel like I am on the right path in terms of defenders of having no idea what to do, so I might as well just kind of pass on them a little bit. I'd, I'd rather take flyers on defenders and try to hope that uh, you know if I, uh, you know, if I go a little uh, earlier on, essentially backup midfielders, one of them may turn out to be Riyad Mahrez, uh, and so I'm willing to wait on defenders because I think the upside is higher for for nailing one of these midfielders. But the other thing is with with forwards. I mean, goals are obviously still kind of king, uh, but you need to, you need guys who who do a little more than that at least in Taga and. Um, John, you'll have to remind me who it was who wrote the, the Aguero article for you guys. Yeah, that was um, Todd Shank from right. Premier Soccer yes. Chat came and wrote it. Yep. So Todd wrote this article about uh, how he doesn't believe Sergio Aguero is a first-round pick in Taga, which I believe was essentially a 10 team. So he's not in the top 10 players. And, you know, everybody who plays any other format, you know, thinks like, well, of course, Aguero is, you know, the best fantasy option out there. Uh, and it's really more of a a playing time issue with Aguero. You know he's going to get hurt, so he may not play enough. But uh, you do have to consider that, you know, if he's not playing enough and he's not creating enough chances, maybe a guy like Troy Deeney, not that you're going to take Deeney over Aguero, but um, I think people underestimate how important playing time is and that that's the biggest knock on Aguero. And so when you go for these midfielders looking for your chances created, you got to find the guys who play a lot. Um, and that's, that's where I tend to go overboard in my drafts where I'd rather be long on midfielders than any other position. 
Sure. Could I just jump in there real quick, Andrew, as well? Because I think something that people, um, you know, if you're talking to a traditional fantasy Premier League audience, then they're used to drafting or or, or purchasing with their salary cap their substitutes as players that they would want to come in in the event that somebody's injured. But the concept of handcuffing, which is a very traditional American sports uh, idea, doesn't necessarily exist. And what I mean by that is if you're playing fantasy football and you draft the number one running back on the Broncos – you also want to then, in the later rounds, the dying rounds of your draft, make sure that you go out and you draft his backup. So that if you were to lose the number one player, and let's use Sergio Aguero here as a great example. Sergio Aguero has a lot of injury time down. You're going to want to make sure that you go out uh, and get uh, Kelchi Inet. Ayanacho. Ayanacho. In round 14, 15, 16, because you don't have the ability in draft to just drop Sergio Aguero and pick up Harry Kane for that same 12 or 13 million pounds. Your roster is your roster. And I think you just made a great point. When you're drafting high-value players in the early rounds, you may want to contemplate who their uh, replacements would be in the event they got injured and make sure that you have them secured on your roster as well. It's an interesting concept. And another one that you have to worry about with uh, with you know, full season long formats. And uh, I, you know, I'm going to start with John and run Andrew. If you differ, please uh, don't, don't be afraid to jump in. But a unique factor of the premier league is that the rosters are not finalized when the season starts. And especially in, um, in Taga, let's say if you draft, I'm going to keep it close to my heart. Uh, you know, Diego Costa, uh, you know, the rumors are, un- it's unlikely that he would be gone off of Chelsea, but, if the rumors are true that they are really in on Romelu Lukaku, that could spell at least a different role for Diego Costa. And then Bastian Schweinsteiger may leave. Juan Mata may leave. I mean, there's a bunch of big names that may leave the Premier League altogether. Uh, how do you deal with that in your early in your early rounds, especially because you you would you take a risk if someone drops a little bit because they might be leaving the Premier League? Yeah, I would, I would absolutely do that. And we've seen that play out in the mock drafts that we've done. Um, you know, we've seen players like, uh, like Diego Costa drop significantly. And if you look at our ranks, I mean, you know, he's ranked as a tier three striker right now. We have him at 14th, um, just ahead of Memphis Depay, who is a striker in our format because we use Opta's uh, real-life uh, classifications, not the FPL's. I think somewhat arbitrary determinations that Memphis Depay, Marco Arnautovic, et cetera, are all midfielders, but that's, that's not even there, but Costa is number 14, you know, and I think that the only reason he's fallen that far is, is because of those rumors. Um, from a mechanical standpoint, if you do your draft, let's say today we're all in a 10 team draft and tomorrow Diego Costa leaves the league and Paul Pogba comes into the league. Well, Diego Costa would no longer be on your roster, Mike, and we would all have the opportunity to put a waiver claim in. Again, for American players, it's it's a fairly um, like-for-like uh, move that we're used to doing in other sports. For players that have traditionally played salary cap, uh, the very short version of a waiver is everybody gets a chip that's rated one through whatever the end of your draft is. Say it's a uh, 10-team draft, one through 10. And if you want a player, you put them in, and the highest-ranking chip, one being the highest, uh, would get the player. And then you would drop down to the bottom of the pecking order. So if Paul Pogba comes into the league, Mike, you have the first pick. You put in your claim. You get Paul Pogba. He's added to your roster. You move down to number 10. Everybody else moves up one. The next time another player comes in, the next manager has a chance at, at claiming him. Um, and we do see that happen from time to time. Last year, famously, that happened with Kevin De Bruyne. And um, that was that was fairly impactful. Uh, the season before that, 
uh, we saw a few big names come in, and, and, and none of them really seemed to pay off very much. Um, so it's a little bit of strategy that you use throughout the season. And it's, uh, it's the same thing that you would do even after the transfer window closes. You know, on October 1st, if uh, Della Ali gets injured and you think that that really opens the door for uh, Son to step up uh, or for the new uh, striker Vincent Jansen to, to step up into the Tottenham attack, then, you know, you would put in your waiver claim for that person at that point in time, and, and you'd add him to your roster and drop somebody else as well. Yeah, and I just remember in the last round of the, our draft last season, I picked up David De Gea, and that worked out a treat. <laughs> um, but I, I, what I know, we'll get to the uh, the cheat sheet later. Uh, I, I I I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw David De Gea where he was ranked, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, you were surprised I even included him? No, I'm surprised he was that low. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that later. But Andrew. You know, say almost the same question to you. Uh, do you, when do you when would you take a chance on a guy? Let, let's just say could we just we've been talking about him, Diego Costa. You know, if he's still around in the fourth round, would you take him? It, would it have to be the seventh round? Would it have to be never? It would probably depend, like on the rumors that are coming that day. Like I feel like we, so many rumors feel so true, and then when they don't happen, we're like, of course that didn't happen. Like that, no way. Like. Gonzalo Higuain was like done deal an Arsenal player last summer or two summers ago, whenever it was. And like that never happened. And so, uh, you know, Paul Pogba was supposed to move last summer and he didn't. And so I just, I almost take them uh, like they won't happen. So I, I would probably draft Diego Costa a little more aggressively than, than other people would. Although I think uh, Michi Bachua is probably more of a reason I wouldn't take Costa than, than any potential transfer. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, we, we, we can discuss Neil's article. And that's a nice segue. Um, also, Jamie Vardy was supposedly going to be an Arsenal right, player. That was a done deal. Yeah. Who would say no to Arsenal? Other would you like Gonzalo, the list or no? Gonzalo would you like the, would, and would, Jamie Vardy. Would you like the list or no? <laughs> no, please don't. OK, uh, well, we could talk about Neil's article, too, because I, I really did enjoy this. And it actually is going it might affect how I draft this season and how, it, you know, it. Not for DraftKings in weekly formats because you'll know what the lineups are. But when you have to think about the high-profile teams, that's the the sexier names, the the flashier styles. But what you run into the risk of is rotation. And when you start hearing rumors that Lukaku may be coming in and Costa may not even leave, then you have three players for two spots with Batshuayi, uh, Costa and Lukaku all at Chelsea at the same time. And where that really becomes a problem is in crowded midfields. Also at Chelsea, there's a crowded midfield. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I'll throw this over to John. Uh, you know, you, you obviously you've read the article and how much does that affect your, you know, this goes into your point about your broadening your depth of knowledge. Uh, is that something you take into account here as well? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the catch twenty twos about having the job that that I have that you guys have, right? That, that Neil Thurman, um, who writes for Taga and, and well, for Roto World, has is you take all of your best ideas, you put them into articles, you put them into the world, and you let everybody read them, and then ultimately at the end of the day, you still have to go out and play against those people in the league, right? <laughs> and um, the article that Neil wrote, you can go to Google, you can just type in Seeking Gilfie, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson's first name. Uh, so Seeking Gilfie, it'll pop right up. And it's a, it's a discussion of uh, average draft position, ADP. And what it essentially posits is you need to stop looking at big names on big clubs where there's a lot of, a lot of um, 
roster congestion where there is not a guaranteed avenue to playing time. We're talking about midfield at Manchester United. We're talking about the front three at Liverpool. You know, we're talking about uh, the ever burgeoning number of names at Manchester City uh, that are coming in with absolutely nobody departing. You know, those those situations make it very, very difficult to properly value a player on draft day. But Gilfie Sigurdsson, well, that man runs Swansea. I mean, there's no question that he's going to have the ball at his foot every time that that club can possibly get the ball at his foot. You know, you look at uh, one of my personal favorites um, at Hull City, Ahmed El Mahamedy. Like, Ahmed El Mahamedy is going to run that team. Uh, you look at Middlesbrough, another promoted club, Stuart Downing, is going to send in Lord knows how many crosses. I mean, this has been going on since before he was relegated, before he got re-promoted, you know, all throughout his career. These are guys that have 3,000 minutes almost guaranteed. And drafting for minutes is not necessarily the best approach, but when you can take a step back, when you can objectively evaluate, it's my favorite club, but I have to acknowledge that Roberto Firmino is going to be challenged for playing time by Sadio Mane and Jorginho Wijnaldum and Daniel Sturridge and Christian Benteke and Philip Coutinho, and he's only going to get 2,800 minutes. I'm better off taking Riyad Mahrez because they are very similar players with very similar potential, but Riyad Mahrez is going to play every minute that Claudio Ranieri can have him on the pitch. Uh, so, Andrew, has Riyad Mahrez said no to Arsenal yet? I was just about to say, speaking of players who didn't come to, to Arsenal. <laughs> Uh, no, but Andrew, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting how he chose Gilfie Sigurdsson as his uh, as his main name because there were rumors suggested that Ronald Koeman wants him at Everton, um, which would be very interesting. But I hope that doesn't happen because um, in the ten team mock draft that I did uh, this past Sunday, I took Juan Mata in the fourth round, entirely predicated on the idea that Juan Mata is going to become Dusan Tadic, but at thirty two hundred minutes and is going to be a top ten Taga player. So if at that Everton moves, or at Manchester United? If, no, if he moves, my, my presumption is that Coleman goes in for Mata and gotcha. he leaves Manchester United for Everton. Part is able to partner uh, with uh, Jerry D and excuse me and, and uh, Ross Barkley in behind, who I hope will still be Romelu Lukaku, and that that front four is just you know is able to pile on 300 points in Taga apiece. Uh, when you say the Dusan Tadic, Ronald Koeman is famous for not using Dusan Tadic the way that oh, he should. Oh, my God. Yeah, he absolutely – that might be what he's most famous for. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, take that take that with a slight grain of salt. But, uh, you know, but Andrew, you know, you've heard my take on defenders. We talked about midfielders and forwards. Um, so your take on defenders is I don't think as aggressive as mine, but it's pretty close, right? Yeah, I, I pretty much wait for most people to – sometimes even fill out their team. And what's really nice about uh, Taga is that because they include things like aerials one, uh, center backs tend to be valuable as well. Whereas when uh, a lot of other formats, particularly daily formats, you you really don't think of them at all. So it almost doubles the number of of defenders that you're considering, which just gives me every more reason to wait as long as possible because... um, like I said, I'd rather try to luck myself into the next Riyad Mahrez instead of going early for uh, Nacho Monreal, who I know is good, but you know maybe I could find the next Christian Fuchs just as late. The next, yeah, Christian Fuchs, by the way, who may be an NFL kicker in a year from now. Right. Well, he wants to be, yeah. Christian start- Fuchs, who I just omitted from my top 30 salary cap uh, thing that I submitted to Rob Langevin. 
because he was too expensive or you just don't think he's good enough? Yeah, because, I mean, those guys, listen, I, I love them. I love them in our format still, but I do think that they need to kind of come down a little bit, and you saw that. But realistically, if you're playing in a traditional, and this is, this is why I really love our format, Andrew. You just hit on it. Those guys still have a lot of value. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking about, obviously, um, Fuchs, Huth, and, and Wes Morgan. Those guys have a, a lot of value. Um, but in a traditional league, they were entirely reliant on clean sheets and bonus points, uh, 25 bonus points for Fuchs last yeah. season almost entirely coming in the matches where he had one of his four assists or one of his 15 clean sheets. In fact, I don't think he had a bonus point in a match where he didn't keep a clean sheet and have an assist. So if either of those two numbers changes, and honestly, I don't think that we can necessarily count on him to get four assists again. I certainly don't think we can count on Lester to keep clean sheets in 50% of their matches again. His overall numbers are going to fall. Now, what you just said, absolutely true on Taga. You know, uh, headers won uh, clearance, successful clearances. Um, You do get points for uh, key passes. And, I mean, a a host of other uh, statistics where all of these players' tackles won uh, is is another great one, particularly for defensive midfielders in the Makaleli role. But we can probably now reclass the N'Golo Kante role for all the millennials who have no idea who Claude Makaleli is. (laughs) Um, You know, that role, right, that role is incredibly valuable. Uh, that's why Mpali's Mendy is, uh, is already being touted by everybody except Neil Thurman as a, as a potential um, breakout star as a sleeper in draft. Um, so that's, that's just another way to, to consider the valuation difference here is that if you don't believe in somebody's clean sheet potential, if you don't believe that you know they're a high-scoring defender that's going to be able to keep it up, somebody like Leighton Baines or somebody like Ronald Huth uh, who you know uh, famously scored five goals in five straight seasons, I think um, – there is still a very high chance that they're going to be incredibly valuable. And Virgil van Dyke is, is possibly the best example of that at Southampton. Um, you know, I think believed one assist, no goals, and was the second most valuable defender, the most valuable defender on a permanent basis last season. Mm. Well, uh, my, my hesitation about van Dyke is that he's on, with a different manager this season. And you don't really know how he's going to be employed going forward because he, he got forward on a lot of corners and a lot of, set piece opportunities and you don't know how aggressive uh, the new manager will be but also also they were playing three um three or five at the back for a little while as well which kind of helps the center backs out in terms of getting more aggressive stepping up and getting more tackles and getting more interceptions but uh why my one reservation about guys like this again this is the guy going to a big club and golo Conte, the way that everyone played chelsea last year which was a great success was let them have let Chelsea have the ball, just don't let them counterattack you and just let them try to break you down because they can't do it. Now, all right, I want to get into some names because I'm just dying to get into this cheat sheet. So. <laughs> um, before, before you do, I wanted to ask John about the cheat sheet. John, you kept you keep saying we. Is this your cheat sheet and you're using the royal we Taga, or were there a number of people who who uh, worked on this? Yeah, I mean, um, as you guys both know, Taga's, uh, you know, we're an incredibly tight-knit group. We're, we're a small team, but we're a dedicated team. We're all FPL. We're all EPL supporters. And, uh, you know, as as the person uh, who's responsible for putting it out, I you know, that's, it's largely my rank, but I would say that every single person at the company had um, had input into it. We bounced it around to everybody. Uh, the, the layout of it is all down uh, – to other people, the, you know, the incredible delivery of it's all down to other people. And, and certainly, um, yeah, I mean, just I, I guess as with everything in a small team and it's, it's definitely a team effort. So we can still blame you for these rankings though. I don't want to, well, I mean, I think, I think everybody at the company would be comfortable with you blaming me for the okay, rankings. Okay, good. Yeah. good. 
Because I don't want to give you credit if it was really like Scott's guy, but if it's just really yours, I'm I'm willing. To no, I, I mean I think some of them are Will's guys, some of them are Scott's guys, some of them are Joey's guys, some of them are Robert's. Yeah, I mean every, everybody, uh, everybody stuck their nose in Elliot's guys, and and yeah, it uh it everybody stuck their nose in a little bit, which was good because you know every once in a while you forget to add somebody to the list like Patrick Van Anhalt, and uh, that would have been really embarrassing if it had gone out that way. All right, Mike, let him have it. <laughs> First of all, before we go into this, <laughs> send all complaints over to at Playtaga, P-L-A-Y-T-O-G-G-A, or at John's personal account, more personal account, at Fantasy Gaffer, G-A-F-F-E-R. And of course, I'm at Sports by Gotti, and Andrew is at Rotowire Andrew. Uh, don't send us your complaints. We just won't answer them. Uh, <laughs> no, that's actually not even true. We'll all. just send them to John. That's exactly right. We'll Whether forward. they're Taga or not. We'll just... That's right. We'll, all complaints, <laughs> Rotowire related or Taga related, we'll go to John. Mm-hmm. I am also responsible for Rotowire's rankings. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cricket ones, too. <laughs> and esports. Right. Um, let's, so let, let's start with goalkeepers because it'll be the quickest one to get through. The one na- – and I, I, I teased it before. David De Gea is ranked 11th, John. Why? I am, have you seen him attempt to defend the near post? Have you seen a Jose Mourinho? (laughs) I have. I've seen seen what Jose Mourinho can do defensively. And while I understand that that does certainly come with some benefits because they like to keep it tight at the back and they like to keep a lot of clean sheets, you may also be aware that they tend to keep those clean sheets not by limiting the opposition to bad shots, but by limiting them to few shots. And when you have few shots coming at your goal, the number of points that you lose – from those saves that you didn't get is infrequently offset by clean sheets. Mike, I'm going to add De Gea, if I counted correctly, was the ninth highest scoring goalkeeper last year in Taga. That's correct. So the saves are a problem or lack thereof. As someone who has owned Lucas Fabianski many times and his averaging letting up at least a goal a game i call the lucas fabianski rule when people when websites allow like some points to be given for one goal allowed that's the <laughs> lucas fabianski rule mm-hmm. um could be I, the adrian rule too i think he's taken that i oh, no, no west ham at west ham allowed the most i think the most games with at least one goal yeah you're right, right. at least one i think it was at least two even um either way and, and it's it's hard for me both optics and and just real life watching them play consider Lucas Fabianski five six spots better than David De Gea specifically that, 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 those are the names that I can't get around like I know Aurelio Gomez last year for example he was probably the number one or two ranked goalkeeper and he drops to seven I understand that because well, Watford may not have the same season I think that's I think that's a great point Mike and that's um that's something I'd really like to address because one of the reasons that it was important for uh, Asataga to class these guys by tier and not just put out raw numbers is because some of those inner office conversations that we had, you know, when I bounced this off of, you know, other FPL experts, um, you know, whether that's Kevin DeVries or whether that's Neil Thurman, um, Sean Sullivan, you know, these guys had input into this. And when, you know, when we got together last summer, famously, we went around the table, there were 10 of us at the table, all 10 of us, picked a different goalkeeper as a guy that we thought were going to have the, you know, the best fantasy season. And so these tiers are, I don't want to say that they're interchangeable because if you look at tier three for midfielders, I do think there's a substantial difference between Ross Barkley and Johan Kabaye at 11 to 19. But I am open to the idea 
that you or Andrew or anybody that's listening to this could make a credible argument that Johan Kabai belongs above Ross Barkley. So when you're making a credible argument that David De Gea belongs above Lucas Fabianski, I think that this cheat sheet's working the way that we intended it to. Walked right into that one, Mike. I well totally done. Did. That's why he's. That's why we get smarter. <laughs> I just hope he doesn't get dumber as we. Uh... No, 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 wait, I, I, I've got one more. I've got one more point on goalkeepers. Now, I'm sure you know this, John, but who has won four of the last six Golden Gloves? Uh, Joe Hart? Correct. He's number. He's at number 10. And when, and, uh, and when people look at Golden Gloves, that usually considers the best goalkeeper in real life. So is this just the difference between real life and fantasy that Joe Hart, because Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, they will allow shots. So I don't want to – they may not get the clean sheets that they used to, but they will allow shots. And why is he – why wouldn't he be considered in the same tier as an Adrian? Um, well, I, I'm going to take a little bit of umbrage with your classification that it's the best goalkeeper because it's the goalkeeper that keeps the most clean sheets. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best goalkeeper. I mean it's a little bit like uh, somebody winning the uh, gold glove because they won the silver slugger, right? I mean, yeah, sure, Grady Sizemore can hit the ball really well, but he's – you know not necessarily the best defensive center fielder to ever play the game. Probably a horrible example for, you know, a guy that played 18 months of competitive professional baseball, but that's the one I'm going with. Um, so to your point, I just don't know that Joe Hart is going to a keep the number of clean sheets necessary to offset B this team under, uh, under Pep Guardiola. I expect to be a little bit more sound defensively, but I'm not entirely sold. And I really enjoy FPL flies, uh, have Man City conceded yet, hashtag. So in uh, in sort of honor of that, I, I dropped him maybe a spot or two below where he should be. And 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 Andrew, you love Adrian because he's you've kept him as a goalkeeper in other leagues. Um, you know, Adrian being in the same tier as Casper Schmeichel and Fraser Forrester, uh, is that just because he gets a lot of saves and he saves, I don't know, what was it, three or four penalties in a row? I'm I'm offended you didn't include Jack Butland, who's also in that tier, who was my pick last year as the top um, the top keeper because Butland was was headed to be by far the best fantasy goalkeeper last year before he got hurt. That's a great tier um, of goalkeepers. He, Butland finished fifth in Taga scoring last year and played 600 fewer minutes than everybody above him, except Peter Cech, I guess. Like, that's... <sighs> That's an absurd um, difference, but um, I I don't necessarily. I think those tiers are are right. I think um, I think Swansea are going to give up enough goals this year to not offset the the saves that Fabianski will make to to keep him in that second tier or to put him in that second tier. Um, Forster uh, just has two guys in front of him who you know are two of the best center backs I think in in England. So. Um, I think yeah, I think that I think John nailed that tier. I think the other thing that and it, it's kind of funny that you brought up these two guys was to go back to Neil's article of you know don't be swayed by the big clubs. Both Manchester goalies really aren't that great fantasy options in these formats that that include all of these extended stats, and so you know you should be very happy that people are kind of over drafting them because. Um, you really don't really, you don't want them. You want guys yeah. like Butland and Forster, and those guys will definitely go at well after De Gea and Hart. Absolutely. If you're playing in a ten team league and your league mates um, are new to draft format, if they don't have this cheat sheet, you can expect to see uh, 
Thibault Courtois, Joe Hart, David De Gea, uh, maybe even Hugo Lloris. You're going to see them coming off the board sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round. And, and it's it's much too early for anybody that's outside of those, you know, top five or six goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. All right. Last point. <laughs> uh, last point on goalkeepers. Um, I see two Liverpool goalkeepers in re- in reverse order that you would expect to see them, at least most people viewing it for the first time. Uh, so I'm assuming, Andrew, you agree with this, too, because you argued with me on this before that Simo Mignolet has lost his job. Well, he's going to keep it because Karius just broke his hand a few days ago. But I think the, the moment Karius is fit, yeah, Mignolet is gone. Like that was like the best thing to happen to Mignolet. But um, I can't fathom a world where Jurgen Klopp thinks Simon Mignolet is a better goalkeeper than Loris Karius. I'd suggest that if you uh, just stopped, I don't know, a hundred random Liverpool supporters on the street, they would rather see Loris Karius playing with a broken hand than Simon <laughs> Mignolet playing perfectly healthy. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But that's another great point, Mike. So one of the things about the cheat sheet, which is important to consider, is that it really considers upside. We didn't look at guys that have high floors necessarily. If somebody has a really high floor, right, somebody like Virgil van Dijk, you know, I don't think Virgil van Dijk is going to be the number one uh, point scorer in Taga for defenders. But there's a very high likelihood that Virgil van Dijk is going to be in the top five seven ten right famous you, last words <laughs> you, you can mark them down that's fine i mean listen roberto firmino is going to be the best player that signs in the epl 2015-16 <laughs> people do these things all the time i'm not saying that i support bold statements like that but they've been known to happen uh, but virgil van dyke <laughs> high high floor right so he belongs there but one of the things you know you're going to see guys like nathan redmond very high up on this list you're going to see uh promoted strikers like andre gray very high up on this list um you know you're going to see a guy like pedro from chelsea very high up on this list and that's because if they get the playing time right and we're we're in preseason we don't exactly know how these rosters are going to shape up um as the transfer window comes into a close so what we're really trying to give people with this is a little bit of a predictive tool to say you know if if Romelu Lukaku leaves and uh, De La Feo becomes the number one forward yeah maybe we rated him a little bit too low at number 30 but if Lukaku doesn't leave and De La Feo is relegated to that part-time role we've almost certainly rated him a little bit too high so that 30 rank is, is kind of a little bit predicated on uh, the potential and knowing that if you put him in that spot and if somebody reaches for him in the eighth or ninth round, uh, after two weeks, if it doesn't look like he's getting early playing time, you can always drop him. You can pick up somebody like Sam Vokes from Burnley. You can pick up somebody like uh, Danny Ings from Liverpool, and you can get some part-time value out of one of those guys. We get so much smarter here. All right, let's go to <laughs> let's go to defenders. I mean, we talked about we t- tier one is five players as it always is. Um, Kyle Walker. Christian Fuchs, Luke Shaw, Van Dyke, and Bellerine are the top five uh, in reverse order there. But Kyle Walker, to me, has a lot of competition behind him <laughs> at Tottenham. I mean, a lot, because I love Kieran Trippier, as we previously stated. And DeAndre Yedlin, who showed a lot of promise last year, is also sh- uh, is also technically still on Tottenham. So I'm assuming you believe that one of them at least will be transferred out and – on that point, who do you think would be transferred out or, or loaned out? I'm, I'm not sure I've ever heard of Kieran Trippier. Andrew, have you ever heard of Kieran Trippier? <laughs> no. <sighs> Never heard of championship him. guys that we don't have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, you might want to just double-check your depth chart real quick, Mike. But, um, 
I'm pretty sure that uh, DeAndre Yedlin's on his way back out. Even last week, there were already um, there were already suggestions that he was going to be on his way back out to Sunderland. Um, yes, and um, that he was already on his way back out on loan. Excuse me. And there was some rumbling um, that I saw. I want to say the Mirror. Um, and I, again, I don't know the credibility of the different national papers in England, but um, none of them have it. Yeah, none, none, none. <sighs> none. Pokemon Go equals cricket, everybody. At RotoWire, <laughs> the English press has no credibility. Uh, we will tag the uh, at the PA in that one. Um, at Ben Dinnery. <laughs> ben Dinnery, absolutely. And um, so, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not concerned about Walker's minutes. I mean, it, to the extent that I was not a Kyle Walker believer last year, even when our friend Kevin DeVries, who is a massive Tottenham supporter, was flogging him all over the planet. I was not buying uh, Kyle Walker. And, um, you know, I've, I've obviously turned around on that. The guy's still young. I mean, he's only 26 years old. Uh, he played less than – this is actually, I think, a really important stat for Kyle Walker, and it's one of the reasons that he's rated so high. He only made 33 appearances last season. He only played 2,943 minutes. So when we say that we're a little bit worried about maybe rotation as um, Pochettino tries to press for a trophy on four fronts, as we talk about the fact that there are a number of really quality players uh, in that squad behind Kyle Walker this is a guy who's shown that he has enough value even if he does lose two three four five hundred minutes across the the breadth of a season Andrew there are three well I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for Nacho Monreal and I'm going I'm, I'm scrolling down and I'm scrolling past Laurent Koscielny and Andrew as the local Arsenal supporter here would you rank Koscielny as a higher value than Monreal uh, I think they're fairly similar, uh, particularly in this format. I think Koscielny led the league in interceptions last year, which is a big stat, and um, a ton of aerials, a ton of clearances. So, like, those center back stats that you that you have to get in Taga, I think, put Koscielny ahead. The, the problem that I have with this defender tier, this five-man tier, is that, and, and it doesn't really apply for any of the other positions, is that I... I'm not sure there should be a difference between tier one and tier two um, because I think uh, Alberto Moreno, I think um, at least when he was fit, Cresswell, I think Baines, not unlike Mike, like I think oh. those guys could be right. um, the top, the top fantasy plot Taga uh, defender this year. Um, right. I really like uh, Van Anholt who, who wouldn't have been in that top five. So um while I think the other th- the other three positions are kind of right in their their top tier, I think the defender top tier is is significantly bigger than just five, and that's more because I just don't think and any small group is better than everybody else. Yeah, and you you brought you brought up the the lightning rod name that we have had on all, <laughs> you know between you and me, uh, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, judging where he's been ranked number ten, but Leighton Baines. I think that I'm bailing on him completely. I am likely never to own him either in daily, in FPL, in any format because I think he's he's getting older. There's competition behind him, and the manager that has come in expects a very, very, very high level of fitness from the guys playing on the outside, and I'm not sure Leighton Baines can do that anymore. Um, it, it, it five years ago, yes, I'd put Leighton Baines number one probably, but I think it's Seamus Coleman 
every day of the week and twice on sun Saturdays, I guess, mostly for, uh, for this format. And I'm assuming you do not agree, John. Well, I think that putting Baines where I put him obviously indicates that, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. Um, I would like people to go to cheatsheet.playtaga.com and see exactly how far down I ranked uh, Nacho Monreal below Lauren Cascielny because you are going <laughs> to have to scroll so, <laughs> so far to find Monreal after you see Cascielny's name. Uh, you may just want to, like, I don't know, block a couple minutes out so you can successfully <laughs> navigate all the HTML to get there. Um, but I, look at the reality is he's ranked high and it, and it looks very high, but when you consider how defenders are drafted, sticking Leighton Baines at the 10th defender spot still is barely uh, blessing him with a top 50 overall pick. And I think that when you get into your draft, uh, if it's a 10-team league, uh, you're going to see him go somewhere around the 50th pick. If it's an 18-team league, I think you're going to see him fall even farther because people in an 18 league are really going to be keying on those forwards, are really going to be keying on those midfielders because they're going to understand that the high-end players, depth comes in to play less in the smaller leagues is what I'm trying to say, right? So a player like Baines uh, hurts you less in those leagues as well, and, and but there's also less, there's less benefit to, to hitting on him. And in a 12-team league, I mean, Mike, let me ask you this. Would you rather have uh, Eric Bialy or Leighton Baines? <sighs> Can I pass on both? Like, I, yeah, I'm well, not... they, they they went seven picks apart in our in our mock draft, right? And I'll let you guess who went first. But would you you know would you rather have Santi Cazorla or Leighton Baines? <sighs> that's it. That's I, I, again, I'm passing on both. Okay, well, Santi Cazorla was drafted at 32. This is a 10-team expert league mock draft which included Mike Phillips, who won Tottenham's Perfect 11 last season. Uh, it included uh, Rob Langevin, uh, Kevin DeVries, Neil Thurman, myself, Elliot Musto. Um, I mean, it's a quality field of guys that have played this sport for you know, a long time. And Sandy Cazorla went at number 32, one pick ahead of Olivier Giroud, right? Leighton Baines goes a round and a half later at number 48. I would much rather have Leighton Baines in that kind of a position where I'm essentially looking for the exact same thing out of Leighton Baines as I am from Santi Cazorla. I'm asking a guy who's a little bit older, who's dealing with a little bit more uh, competition for his spot to come back and post the kind of fantasy numbers that he did two years ago. If I can get an 18 pick premium on that, uh, you know, if a 16 pick premium on that, I would much rather have the defender there because ultimately I have the formational flexibility to be able to say, I'll pay a three, five, two this week. I'll play a four, five, one this week and rotate that player in. If, you know, if he's being successful, I guess my question is more at the heart of, you know, but what, what I mean, I'm, I'm think uh, my whole point is that Seamus Coleman is somehow still uh, underrated. And Leighton Baines is, I think, at this point, just a name, and I'd rather bail a year early than a year too late on a guy like Leighton Baines. I don't have a, I don't have an argument against that. I mean, if you believe in Seamus Coleman as being Leighton Baines two years ago, I mean, by all means, invest in Seamus Coleman. But I mean, I think the real story there is that presents you with a very unique buying opportunity because Seamus Coleman is a sleeper in your world, right? I mean, he can be had in the eighth, ninth, tenth round of a draft, and you're anticipating third, fourth, fifth round value from that. So, I mean, you should, you should, you know, 
I absolutely tout that to people. Let them know that Seamus Coleman can be had late in drafts. Excuse me, um, very late in drafts, not just not just the mid rounds, but the deep rounds. Ignore players like Leighton Baines early, and uh, you know, stock up on forwards and midfielders, and come away with a winner. I, I, I before we yes. keep going, I have, I have to stick up for Mike for a little bit, and I can't believe I'm doing this. But the whole scrolling down thing, um, obviously on the um, on the tiered rankings, Koscielny is only two spots ahead of Monreal. But, John, if you go to the full 160 rankings, you have to scroll two more names to get to Monreal. <laughs> did, did I make it four? I'm, I'm sorry. It's really actually sorry. one. It's, it's one more. It's uh, as Mike <laughs> likes to call him, Simone Francis and then Daniel Sturridge. And then you get to Monreal after Koscielny. Right. So, I mean, let's not try to twist some words here. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take issue now with the lower parts of the defenders because I think that there are some really underrated players in Tier 5. And actually, I'm almost exclusively, most likely going to be drafting my defenders from Tier 5. Maybe one, maybe, uh, oh, I've been getting Glenn Johnson somehow from Tier 4. But I, 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 there is a lot of value even at the last name, Juan Zuniga at Watford. I'm very, very high on him. I don't see, well, I, I thought George. I thought I saw George Friend on here from Middlesbrough, and I'm wondering because I see Daniel Ayala, who's based, you know, very similar value in terms of defender. How much do you take into account the early part of the schedule into your rankings? And the reason why I ask that because this also affects people in FPL. But how far should people be looking at schedules when they're looking at teams like, a, you know, teams like a Watford or teams like a Middlesbrough, who especially at defense that may matter. Um, the early part of the schedule did not factor into the cheat sheet at all. Obviously, when you're looking at mid to late round value, when you're looking at what we would maybe class as sleepers, guys that you think uh, could present present a little bit of additional value, um, I, I do obviously look at that. Um, I am aware of where injuries present opportunity, right? I mean, last round of a draft, I'll reach and take Simone Mignolet, understanding I'm going to play him for five weeks and drop him. But when you look at um, the overall rankings, these rankings, <laughs> these rankings coincidentally published the day that Aaron Cresswell uh, suffered that horrific injury. And we did um, the same the, thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the new version of these, um, which will be coming out in a day, I believe, um, which will also include the full um, – 10 round re, uh, 16 round recap of that 10 team expert mock draft. Um, we dropped Aaron Cresswell completely out of the ranks, Mike, because to answer your point, I mean, you across the full season, he has much limited value and we do have to weight them slightly to, you know, to the first 14 to 19 weeks. Yeah. And, and Andrew, so almost the same question to you. Um, you know, we've talked about this in terms of FPL, in terms of how far on the schedule you should be looking. Because, you know, when you draft your roster, it's not, you know, your final roster. There's going to be changes made, probably a lot of them. So do you take into a season-long league? Uh, do you take the early part of the schedule in mind? Because we've talked about Middlesbrough's schedule. It's pretty good to start the season. I think you're getting a little too cute in, like, a draft format because uh, it's just not as easy to – to take guys like that and then get rid of them later. I mean, at some point you're going to hit a tough part of the schedule and you're not necessarily going to be able to, to land kind of a like for like replacement on the waiver wire. And theoretically you're drafting 
with the idea that these guys will be with you for 38 games. I mean, you're not obviously, you know, these guys aren't going to play every minute of every game, but you know, that's, that's the idea. When you take somebody, you're, you're hoping to get as much out of them as you can. And so while he may have six tough games to start, he may have, you know, five pretty easy games after that and passing on him now doesn't allow you to get him later. Um, you know, somebody else will, will enjoy those, those, uh, those easy games. So, um, you know, everybody plays everybody uh, twice. So there's, you know, the strength of schedule doesn't really matter to me or really, you know, when it comes, obviously you can, because you draft more than just 11, uh, you know, you, you use some bench spots early and maybe you could consider that. But um, I, I go in with the idea that these guys are going to play 38 times for me and uh, I'll just try to take the best players I can. Very rarely does anyone ever accuse me of overthinking things, but uh, that actually may be something I have done here. Um, I was, I mean, I was definitely just thinking to myself, you know, Middlesbrough defenders, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely, definitely, definitely a, an advantage to those guys early on in the season. So uh, it's, uh, I guess I'm being too cute here and I think we should just go on to the midfielders uh, unless Andrew, there's a name that you've really wanted to talk about. Um, not in the defenders. No, I've got a few midfielders that I'd like to touch on because, um, some of them are just crazy. Please go <laughs> ahead. Take, take, take the wheel. Um, I actually, uh, agreed uh, a lot on these and I, I'll plug, uh, another Neil Thurman article, the one that he wrote about Arsenal, um, which I think went up today, which focused a little bit on Granite Shaka, which was a, uh, an interesting point that a lot of people look at kind of the defensive stats from N'Golo Conte last year. I think I apologize if I'm mixing up two articles because um, I've been reading a ton of Taga content lately. So great job, uh, John. But uh, one of the, the, the positives for N'Golo Conte last year is that Leicester never had the ball. So he had a ton of opportunities to rack up these defensive points and Arsenal tends to play with plenty of possessions. So that your Granit Xhaka is not going to get as many opportunities. And yet, the next N'Golo Conte, uh, Nampalis Mendy, is 36th, actually behind Xhaka, um, which was surprising to me that he, and I understand that he's in the same tier, so theoretically we should be able to argue it, but th- but in looking at the guys who I thought I would probably take Mendy on, the one that jumped out at me was Musa Dembele, and I can't believe he even made the top 60, um, because I'm not sure he's going to play at all. Um, so, John... What's the deal with Musa Dembele? Uh, well, let me let me jump on another Neil Thurman article, which is uh, the Nepali's Mendy article, uh, where Neil makes it a very uh, insightful and intellectual argument um, for not drafting the new Leicester defensive midfielder. So I would recommend that people um, search for that as well. If you just search Neil Thurman's name and Nepali's Mendy, it'll come right up. Um, the Musa Dembele pick there is largely predicated on playing time and I'm, I'm very curious Andrew why you think he will not get playing time I just don't see where he fits um, right seems, next to Eric Dyer but but I think but, that's but, kind of where they had Dele Ali last year and I'm not sure yeah, they I, have any reason to move and, and Victor Wanyama has entered the fray I'm, who's Victor Wanyama he's uh, the guy that gets on, the red card he is on pace to smash the record for most red cards does he play tottenham bees with kieran trippier <laughs> in that new uh in that new pl2 league that's right yeah who's their who's their goalkeeper uh, uh oh, michelle vorm there we go 
I guess the the issue I had is that I just don't see Dembele as a consistent enough starter to warrant a ranking in the top sixty. Well, I think to to I, and I'm gonna defend John here. I think to his point from the earlier when he says, you know, if they they're projecting based on a little bit of upside here because he's anticipating that Dembele is going to get the playing time. And since he's assuming that with the playing time, he's going to be that ranking. And, you know, as someone who owned Dembele a lot last year, uh, well, I owned him in, in the EFSA all year and uh, he can fill out a stat sheet. That's for sure. But he just needs the playing time. And that's not something that's guaranteed at Tottenham. It's a risk. It is, but I think some of that's also kind of predicated on the the, the risk part of that. Maybe is um, a little a little off there. He got twenty nine appearances last season, twenty seven starts and two substitute appearances. Which I think, if you put up a Twitter poll right now asking people, you know, how many matches did Musa Dembele play in the league last season, they'd probably come in with you know a number well shy of twenty five. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, you know, he's made he's made twenty nine appearances, twenty seven starts, but he still only played 2,273 minutes, which is a phenomenally low amount of minutes for the number of starts that he got. So I'm not sure if that's a function of him coming up lame. I'm not sure if that's a function of uh, his advancing age, if it's uh, Pochettino saving him because he figures that getting 60 minutes of Dembele is better that, uh, you know, uh, 30 times than it is to get 90 minutes of Dembele 22 times. Um, you know, I wish I do wish I had that insight. All I really can do is look at the way that I anticipate this team playing. And Andrew, to your point, I don't see Ali and Dyer pairing in that midfield as much this season. I think that what we really saw towards the end of the season, right before both Musa Dembele and Della Ali lost their minds, was that you know Della Ali, as he did for England, is pushing up farther. Maybe he shouldn't push out to the wing the way he did in the champion, uh, the Euros, but. Um, he's going to be right there next to Christian Eriksen. He's going to be there right behind uh, Harry Kane. And I certainly think that there's enough space for that, um, lack of a better term, double pivot of Dyer and Dembele playing um, in uh, in a synchronized uh, you know, mirror of one another left to right side. Okay. Uh, I'm. That would require a formation change from last year, and I'm not sure if that's... Why would it? All it would really require is taking Della Ali. It would require a personnel change, but not a formation change. It would require Musa Dembele and Eric Dyer full-time partnering in lieu of that being a three-way rotation. And then allowing Ali in those moments where both Dyer and Dembele are starting in the defensive midfield slots to move forward and partner with uh, Lamella and Christian Eriksen. Yeah. I, I, in real life, but didn't translate well to fantasy. I thought that Eric Dyer was one of the MVPs of last season because he allowed Pochettino to send those wingbacks way up the field because he can still have the three defenders back. But I guess I mean that could I mean that would probably work. To your point, that would still work if Dembele is sitting next to Dyer because even Dembele can get forward and. Now with Wanyama in the fray, he can spell Eric Dyer if Eric Dyer starts to get tired. Um, 
And Eric Dyer, by the way, has lost a ton of fantasy value because he's classed as a midfielder this season instead of as a defender. So he's not going to be able to pick up those additional clean sheet points. He's not going to get uh, the little bit of bump uh, in both goals and assists that he would get from being a defender. And uh, you know, you see that as he tumbles down the cheat sheet. You've seen it as he's gone almost undrafted you know, in eight and ten team uh, leagues this season so far. Mm-hmm. Well, we've gotten a question on Twitter, and I think now is a good time to answer because we're in the real difference-making positions here. Um, but I'll, we'll, we'll go all three of us, and I'll start with uh, with Andrew here. Um, from the promoted sides, um, I, we've, we've talked about Ahmed El Um He's he's from a promoted side technically, but we've seen him before. Um, whom from promoted sides are going to be the breakout stars of this season? So you know, let, let, we can do it at all positions for right now, but uh, let's let's keep a focus on the midfielders. Uh, but Andrew, uh, I in our last podcast doing our FPL teams, I dropped Stuart Downing, who I liked uh, two years ago, and you basically laughed it off, um, which wasn't, I think, maybe the the upside uh, we kind of have seen with with Downing. So it's obviously not like the sexiest pick, but um, another guy that I've kind of started to like is Scott Arfield from Burnley. Um, I think Burnley offers the most uh, kind of fantasy attacking upside of the promoted teams. Um, Everybody's kind of writing about Andre Gray, who um, I'm guilty of as well. Like I think he, he has the best shot at being this year's um, Dini or Igalo, but um I think Sam Vokes also on that team. Like, I think they have a lot. People are going to look at the Hull guys with uh, Mo Diame, at least in the midfield, and be like, oh, I remember him. He was pretty good. But I, I think Burnley um, specifically has the guys that, that we'd want, at least from the promoted sides. Yeah. And Mo Diame might be gone. I mean, there's a lot of rumors yeah. around him that he's going to be playing for Newcastle soon. So, I mean, that's, you know. Gross. And draft him with a yeah. yeah, draft him with a little bit of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as Mo Diame lit, uh, heads to Newcastle, that'll be the day when uh, when Sissoko goes to Real Madrid. Oh, God. <laughs> oh you think I'm kidding? Um, <laughs> either way, you know, the one thing about the uh, the promoted sides this season is that two of the three of them have only been relegated for a year since they 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 they've yo-yoed right back into the Premier League since being relegated in Hull and in Burnley. Um Hull not a surprise that they came back. Um there's a lot of talent on Hull. El Mohabedi is is obviously is going to be the one that everyone talks about. Uh someone who performed very nicely last season is Abel Hernandez for Hull in the in the championship. I think he scored over 20 goals in the uh, in the championship last season so that's something to look out for and from the Middlesbrough side I, I kind of referenced that two defenders Daniel Ayala and George Friend especially in the early part of the season because that schedule is um, let's let's say soft um, to start the season for Middlesbrough um, and other than that I don't think it's too sexy um, so John what do, what do you do do you have any different he- yeah, I got I got one that nobody's mentioned yet, and that's Middlesbrough's attacking midfielder, uh, Uruguayan uh, Gaston Ramirez, who mm. made 18 appearances last season. He played just under 1,300 minutes. He scored seven goals with an assist. Um, he's back over um, playing for Middlesbrough. There was um, a little bit of a, a blip there when he departed, but he re-signed, I don't know, 22nd, 23rd of July of this year, and uh, he obviously knows the club. And uh, he looks like he could certainly slot right in. You know, he's a, a former Southampton player, and uh, he's played at Hull City as well, and, and played uh, for Uruguay. He's got you know 35, 40 caps. 
certainly a quality player and, and somebody who could uh, sneak up, score eight goals, nine goals, maybe ten goals if he's really that if he's really that player. Um, and I don't mean you know if he's really a double digit you know goal scorer, but I mean if you know if Middlesbrough resigned him with the idea that he's supposed to be there, Christian Eriksen, or you know he's supposed to be there, uh, Anthony Martial, you know that player that comes in, um, darts in from the wing, slots in behind the striker, and is largely responsible for scoring. The last time we saw Gaston Ramirez, he was just injured on the sideline in the Premier League, so that that might leave some people with a bitter taste in their mouth. Um, but I agree. If he, if you can't assume injury, except to, you know, for me, Leighton Baines. I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> and Sergio Aguero apparently. And Sergio Aguero apparently. Yes, exactly. I mean, you shouldn't really be assuming injuries, but um, I mean that 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 could be the lasting image from Gaston Ramirez, especially because I know a few Southampton fans who are just angry at him all the time. <laughs> so um, you know that, that I mean, that's the only thing that I, I, if he starts 38 games, I think you're dead on, John. Uh, I just don't think he'll even get to 30. Yeah, and that's absolutely a fair point. Yeah. <sighs> Midfield tiers-wise, uh, someone who I know that a lot of people liked – well, sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. Someone who I really liked but I found <laughs> out he was coming into the Premier League is Sofian Figuli, and he's wound up in tier four towards the bottom of it with the likes of Juan Cuadrado, who's probably on his way out. Uh, Wilfred Saha, who's been a former darling of this podcast. I'm not sure how I feel about him this year, though. And uh, we just talked about him, Ahmed El Mohamedi, uh, just kind of rounding out the lower part here. Um, which newcomer to the Premier League that's that's been transferred in um, besides for Zlatan? Um, who do you think will have one of the larger impacts in that regard from the transferred in players? I, I mean, I think you're going to need to look at the man who hasn't actually signed yet, Paul Pogba, because – and I, I want to make this abundantly clear. When Paul Pogba signs for presumptively Manchester United in a day or two or three, he is instantly, in my opinion, a top 10 Taga player. There is going to be nothing that prevents Paul Pogba from being on the pitch every minute of the day. There is nobody in that United squad that has – the ability to keep him off of the pitch there there's not a skill set that that matches his and he is going to win balls he is going to make interceptions he is going to be a threat going forward he is going to slot the ball in the final third into Zlatan into uh, Wayne Rooney into Memphis uh, into Anthony Martial into I mean any uh, you know Marcus Rashford and whether or not those players ultimately end up scoring, it will not matter for fantasy purposes because he is going to have so many key passes by the end of the season that he will easily, easily be a top 10 player. So, Andrew, another was there another name, you know, from the transferred in players that you would want to talk about? I mean, I think Sofian Faguli is a name that will have a large impact that people aren't talking about much. And that's solely because I love playing with him at FIFA, but on FIFA 16. But uh, the name that you like, Andrew. The one that instantly came to mind was another United guy was Henrik Mkhitaryan, who we've talked about before that I think uh, aside from Pogba, at least in this format, uh, I think he could be the top midfielder just because uh, I think he'll be the one actually creating all of the chances. I think Pogba will kind of clean up on everything else. But with uh, – is it two points per chance created? Yeah, so yeah. we we came into line with Opta this season. So we've dropped quote-unquote chances created from our scoring, and we added key passes. Key passes, and, yeah. Yeah, just so people understand, chances created are key passes plus assists. 
So all key passes are chances created, all assists are chances created. So to avoid redundancy uh, in what people were perceiving as scoring, we've brought our, uh, our definition into line with what Opta presents. Um, and yes, they've dropped from three points to two points. Right. I'm still all in on Mkhitaryan for that. Um, I think uh, United are just going to be shooting as much as possible. I mean, you don't have you don't bring in Ibrahimovic and think that you're not going to shoot as much. I, I am a little surprised at how high Memphis Depay is just because um, he's another one. I'm not sure I see enough minutes to to get him in that tier. I mean, obviously, if he if he plays in the 2400 minute range, he could pay off. But I'm, I'm struggling to see that much with with the other guys around. I mean. They don't have Champions League to really worry about. They obviously have Europa, but I'm not sure how much they're they're going to put into that in order to have to sit Zlatan for for Premier League stuff to 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 bring him in. So uh, Mkhitaryan's definitely the one that that jumped out at me um, immediately, just in terms of some of the new guys that came in. Yeah, and that's a nice segue to the forwards group and what I found fascinating is uh, I have seen mock drafts uh, where Zlatan Ibrahimovic goes number one overall (laughs) and he has wound up in tier two not even in the top tier for you John and is this because Manchester United may not shoot as much as Andrew thinks Um, no it's just because if you're going to have your career season playing in France at age 34 I'm going to assume there's some sort of translation (laughs) to try to play against real football uh, defenses. I mean, the reality is he popped 38 goals and 13 assists. The man is a beast. I have, I wrote an article about Zlatan uh, for, for a blog.playtaga.com highlighting what I think his potential is. And I am personally very high on him, but he is rife with red flags. I mean, the first one is he played 23, uh, 2,500 minutes last season. And that was 500 minutes more than he had played in Liga in 2014-15. He has not played over 3,000 minutes of league football since before he was at Barcelona. So despite the fact that he hit 38 goals last season, uh, he only scored 19 the year before that. He did score 26 the year before that, and he did score 30 the year before that, all in in France. Um, And he did hit 28 goals for AC Milan. I'm not taking anything away from him. But my main concern here is that when he only plays 2,500 minutes in the Premier League, that that goal to minute ratio drops dramatically. And you see a guy who hits 14 goals with two assists and doesn't do anything else. And if that happens, he is not even going to be a you know, tier two forward, he is going to be below, uh, you know, the Andre Gray's, the Callum Wilson's, the Jordan Rhodes of the world. That's just, it's hard to hear someone say that Zlatan Ibrahimovic will be below Jordan Rhodes. <laughs> it's just, that's a, that's a, that's a tough statement to, to take in. That's a very heavy, heavy opinion. I love it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and I love that Michi Batshuayi has landed right behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But what I find interesting is, you know, let's just assume that both Batshuayi and Costa stay. Do you still believe that Batshuayi would be a higher rank than Costa? Or is this just because Costa is rumored to be going out? No, I would have 
I personally, I would still have Costa lower uh, than Bashuai. I'm a believer in. Is he Belgian or did he just come from the Belgian league? There's so he many. Is, he, he is Belgian and yeah. he has scored three times in six appearances, not even six starts, six yeah. appearances for uh, for, for the Red Devils of Belgium. That's correct. And um, it's it's just one of those things where you know again. I don't have an opportunity. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've seen every one of the 170 players that I've ranked um, here in person. I've not seen most of them in person. I'm not going to tell you I've seen all of them on television. I've probably only seen 90% of them play in television. Uh, and when I say that, I mean over a full match. I've seen clips of, I believe, every single player that I rated. Um, I actually had to go out and look at clips of Vincent Janssen before I put him on here. Um, and that w- I went and watched clips of him. And that's why he's the 40th ranked forward. I mean, that that I saw him and I felt like I could rank him. Um, but I just I, I I believe in him. I, I don't know, and I I absolutely believe in Conte coming into Chelsea and reinvigorating that side. Uh, Willian, Eden Hazard, I think are going to have very very credible seasons, and there's going to be a benefactor. And, and frankly. I don't know that Diego Costa is, should even be ranked as high as he is in this list. Andrew, your thoughts on the fact that the top that, – that, that Jamie Vardy and Romelu Lukaku are not in the top tier. It's just Alexi Sanchez, Harry Kane, Sergio Aguero. Um, let's start there first. I actually am not as high on Harry Kane this year. Like I think the players around him are a little better and will – actually take away some of the goals that he scored so um i'm not sure i would necessarily put him in that tier and subsequently i'm very high on romelu lukaku so i may even just switch those guys but i completely agree with what john was saying about zlatan is that uh ultimately in taga you need to do more than just shoot and score goals like there are a plethora of categories that you need to get points from and he just doesn't check those boxes and diego costa is kind of the same way uh so while they may, you know, either one of them could score 25 goals and that would get them into that top tier. Like they're probably not. And so uh, putting them there, I think Costa's appropriately, you know, in the third tier, um, you know, he's, he's probably the best player of that group um, just because of, of the potential upside. But uh, I think you need to get a little more out of, out of these forwards uh, than just goals, which is what you see with guys like Alexis and Aguero and Firmino and Lukaku. Like they're, they are able to get a few assists and create or get enough key passes where they make that jump. Uh, whereas, you know, those kind of statue guys like Ibrahimovic and Costa are just kind of wait in front of the goal for the ball to come. You're not going to get enough points for them from them to, for it to pay off. Am I crazy for liking yes. Marco Arnautovic? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> for liking Marco Arnautovic more than Anthony Martial? Yes. And John, I'm assuming that since you ranked Martial above Zlatan by one, I, I was scrolling down and I I, I, I saw <laughs> that Martial was above yeah. uh, Zlatan here. But were you able to find were you able to find Zlatan? I mean, I know you had to go very far after had, reading Anthony Martial's name. <laughs> I had to scroll. It was it was not good. Um, 
I would like to know what kind of device you're looking at this cheat sheet on because <laughs> I can see like 145 of the 160 names in one screen without any scrolling whatsoever. I'm just saying that there was scrolling involved on the first example, and that was the only example where there was scrolling involved. <laughs> and... uh, I Here's my thing. Um, if Anthony Martial was rated – a midfielder, I would consider ranking him behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But I think he is properly rated a midfielder, excuse me, a forward by Opta, and therefore he is properly rated a forward by Toga. And I think that the value of getting Martial stats as a forward is going to, the potential for what Marshall can do is going to trump what I think Zlatan's floor is. And I'm, I'm much more comfortable. There will not be a draft in which those two guys are both on the board and I take Zlatan. Let me put it that way. Hmm. I, having watched a bunch of Jose Mourinho teams, it's very difficult for me to get behind the wingers, like the uh, you know, like the the left wing and the right wing, especially because Martial, I'm not sure exactly how much playing time he'll be guaranteed with Depay there, with Rooney, with Rashford, with, with the litany of others that are there. Um, uh, and, you, and you know, Zlatan, I mean, the assumption with Zlatan signing is that he's gonna tr- at least get to as close to three thousand minutes as possible, even though three thousand minutes may be a little bit optimistic. Yeah. Do you uh, are, are you saying that Martial will be the backup center center forward if let's say Ibrahimovic needs a spell? No, and I don't think he needs to be. I think that when you look at Mourinho's recent history in the Premier League, you can. And I, I don't want to draw this comparison because, as you guys both know, I mean, the season that Eden Hazard had two years ago was something phenomenal and. I was proudly flouting him as easily uh, a golden ball. Uh, uh, um, good Lord, guys. <laughs> golden ball uh, shortlist nominee. I mean, I thought that his season in the Premier League should have easily equaled anything that was put up by anybody shy of Ronaldo or Messi that year. And I don't see any reason why uh, Martial can't occupy that space for this United team. And then it's just on the squad to determine whether or not they're able to equal the success that Chelsea had um, to provide him with the necessary points coming from uh, those assists and and, uh, providing him the opportunities to those key passes. It's it's just it's weird. It's weird to me to have multiple forward options from a from a Jose Mourinho team. But you do have to kind of. You have to go a little bit deeper and think that he's not really playing forward. He's actually playing a midfielder, but just classified as a forward. Is that what you're, is that what you're driving at? Well, no, I mean, I think the same way that, you know, I think that Martial is properly a forward. I don't think he's an out and out striker the way that Zlatan is, but I think that the way that people are looking at tactics these days and the way that managers are, are currently evolving the way that they're going to send out their lineups. I mean, I think that Anthony Martial is easily as much of a forward as Roberto Firmino is, as Alexis Sanchez is, um, you know, I mean, do I think that he is in the Zlatan, Sturridge, 
uh, coastal mold? No, certainly not. But I mean, I think within the the larger uh, collection of forwards, I, I think Martial's position on the pitch certainly merits that. All right. And Andrew, the last rankings related question, directly rankings related question, we'll then get to our most overrated, most underrated right after before we end this podcast here. But from the lower tier of the forwards position, are there one or two names that you look at and you say, I'm going to be a, I'm, I'm probably going to have a lot of shares in this guy? Uh, probably not. Well, yeah, the, the one that, that I really like is Charlie Austin. Um, and that's probably just from how much I liked him two years ago. I mean, I think the situation just for playing time is there. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if they try to play him with Jay Rodriguez. I think we're still kind of trying to figure out what what kind of formation Southampton's going to end up with. But I think of that, he's in Tier 4. I think he's the one uh, that could probably score the most goals. That doesn't necessarily mean I think he'll have the most Taga points from that group. But... Um, I was a little surprised, and I think it's correct, to see Nolito in this group because I think people are getting really excited about Nolito. Think, you know, he played really well in the Euros, and he's going to a, a team that has like a ton of, of attacking uh, ability. But I, I don't know. I'm not, as, uh, I'm not as high on Nolito. So I think he's probably in the correct group. I think uh, some other people may put him maybe in the next tier along with that, um, you know, Marco Arnautovic, Wayne Rooney group. But... Um, yeah, I'd say Nolito is kind of appropriate, and I think Austin's probably the the lower tier guy that I would that I would bank on. All right, so let's. I know John, you created this list, so it's going to be hard for you to say overrated versus underrated. But at least from you know what you hear others talking about, and you know you've had discussions with the other guys at Taga about this list. Even you know who do you feel has been completely underrated by others and who do you feel has been completely overrated by others well i think it's funny that andrew just picked charlie austin because um i'm putting out a a sleepers post uh in the very near future and shane long is the striker that i picked from southampton because i I think that it's going to be shane long's team um i know i you know there was nothing that i saw in the way that the two of them played together or, or failed to play together uh, after Austin came over from Queens Park Rangers, that made me think that um, he has any kind of uh, chemistry with with Long, and I, I think that ultimately that's probably um, Shane Long's job to lose. And if he hits 12 goals, uh, which he's certainly capable of, I think he scored 11 last season. Then um, I'm perfectly happy to have Shane Long as my fourth forward, uh, which I think is uh, a reasonable place. Uh, to try and grab him if you're aggressive about drafting forwards early, which I have been in all my mock drafts. Um, I took Sergio Aguero 1-1, so I had the first pick in the 10-team mock draft, and I took Sergio Aguero first overall uh, over Ozil Payet, De Bruyne, um, and uh, I like I like taking forwards early this season. Uh, you know, in the official game, they only have 67 forwards. We have considerably more than that, but there's still only 30, 40 forwards that you'd ever want to have in your squad that you'd want to trust. Um, the other name that really jumps out at me as being uh, one that you should consider uh, moving up would be Alvaro Negredo from Middlesbrough. Um, I have it on fairly good authority that uh, he is going to be the man at Middlesbrough and uh, take what you want from uh, the fact that that came from a former Middlesbrough player. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And um, I also think that once Saito Barahino, there's going to be a little bit of moving here. Jafra Sacco is, is on the move. Uh, it's going to open up the door for uh, Saito Barahino to move. And once Barahino moves, I like Saito Barahino to be jumped up um, into Tier 3 uh, right along uh, Jordan Rhodes, Callum Wilson. 
<sighs> that's was that enough? That's that I, I wanted the I wanted to use Shane Long. Um, I, but one added point to Shane Long is he's also coming off a tremendous summer for the Republic of Ireland, so he he's in good form. So just another just another upping of Shane Long. Actually, I'm gonna just keep saying it. I I'm, I'm bailing on Leighton Baines. I don't think he deserves to be in the top. Let's say 25. Uh, it, it's I just don't see it at all. Um, it's a big name, and I know I don't really care about defenders much, but just the big name from defenders. It's just I, I it I, I think he's just a name at this point, and not too much else. And there's a couple of players that you know I'm definitely having a lot of shares in already, and I'm probably going to have more shares going forward. Andros Townsend in the midfield for Crystal Palace, I think, is just a natural. He he, I think him and Nathan Redmond are going to be very similar. So uh, that that's a, that's the name that jumped out to me most. We didn't really talk about him much either. Um, I, I was kind of hoping to not talk about him, but I, I feel like I have to here. Are you looking for players across the whole cheat sheet, or just as forwards that jump out? I'm I'm uh, well. We I'll, I'll I'll open it up to to everybody. And I was going to say Alvaro Negredo for forwards, but you nailed it for me. And if Wilford Boney leaves Manchester City, whatever, if as long as he's a starter, I'm all in. Yeah, that's fair too. And I mean, listen, like if Nathan. I could not be happier for Nathan Redmond and I will probably own Nathan Redmond in every single Taga league that I'm playing in. You and, and me, I will... you and me both, John. Well, we play in a lot of leagues together, so that's, that's going to be interesting because this going to be, it's going to be a rush to see who can overpay for him more. Mm-hmm. God, God damn. I love Nathan Redmond. I, I paid over $20 for him in an auction that was based off of, I think uh, $200. So mm-hmm. 10% of my budget went to, uh, Nathan Redmond last season. I don't have a problem. Oh, last season? It was last yeah. season. Yeah, I would. I, I, I wouldn't have, would, would have done do that on the, on the. I wouldn't have done that on the like on the hype upside. But like this season, I would absolutely spend twenty dollars on my two hundred dollars budget on Nathan Redmond. Not even question. I'm just saying that, just as a frame of reference on what my thoughts on Nathan Redmond are. But I actually, I, I'm, I think Andros Townsend is right there with him. Uh, as far as midfielders are concerned, so I know that I I may have made unclear, but uh, just from a mid uh, from uh, from the rest of the board, midfielders to goalkeepers, uh, same question to uh, let's start with uh, let's start with John. Uh, I think that um, I think that Funes Mori uh, from Everton is ranked a little too low at 34. Um, personally, I'm I'm happy to invest in him, and I don't know that he's necessarily a good play for the start of this season. Uh, but I definitely like him over the length of the season, and I'm willing to to use my last round pick, uh, my you know whatever 14, 15 round pick, to pick him up and and see if he's able to solidify a spot in Ronald Koeman's um, defense. Uh, I really like Jorginho Wijnaldum. Jorginho Wijnaldum spent one of my favorite footballers for eight, nine, nine years now. Um, yeah, since he was 17, now he's 26 now, give or take. Uh, couldn't be happier to see him in a Liverpool jersey. And I am very much knowing that I'm not going to be able to own him in any of my drafts because my snap reaction is to overvalue him and take him uh, in round three. I don't think he's a round three value. He's been going in round three in a lot of Taga drafts already, 10-team Taga drafts, uh, even in expert mock drafts. Um, So he might be somebody that I think is uh, appropriately ranked that I don't think you're going to be able to get um, for the value where we've ranked him. Shocking no one that you chose a player that was very similar to Roberto Firmino's uh, trajectory last season. Still love Roberto Firmino. Roberto Firmino is like – I will I will hope to own him, but I don't know that I'll be able to. And I'm going to say this. On a per-minute basis, Roberto Firmino put up a better season last year than Riyad Mahrez did. So if you're willing to pay up for Riyad Mahrez 
I don't know why you wouldn't be willing to pay up for Roberto Firmino. Firmino was on the same exact pace for goal 17 as Mares was. He was on pace to put up one more assist than Ryan Mares was. He's playing in Jurgen Klopp's uh, team now. And if you look at uh, Ryan Mares's pace, excuse me, if you look at Roberto Firmino's pace after Brendan Rodgers left, Roberto Firmino was a top five most valuable FPL player on a per minute basis under Jurgen Klopp. It was, and we made, we, I mean, we had some jokes about it last year uh, at the start of the season, but in all seriousness, Roberto Firmino looked to be a phenomenal player, especially under Jurgen Klopp, and I think it will continue. So I'm with you there. Yeah, he's so, a real deal. Yeah. And, uh, and Andrew, um, as far from midfielders all the way down to goalkeepers, overrated, underrated. The guy that um, I was surprised we haven't spoken about yet because we c- talked about whether guys should be uh, kind of dropped a little bit in drafts because they may transfer out. But the guy that seems like he should have a tremendous increase in value if he moves is John Stones. I mean, we, Stones is here in the fourth tier. for So obviously in Everton, I had to scroll all the way up one spot from Funes Mori to find him. Um, but he, I mean, his value has to go up playing for, for Manchester city as opposed to Everton. So I think he's one who I think should be able to, to provide much more than, than where we're seeing him now. I mean, obviously he doesn't, uh, he's not going to do a ton if, if he stays at Everton, particularly if they decide that Phil Jagielka needs to play, because I don't, I'm not sure, uh, Stones plays over Funes Mori. I mean, I know he doesn't, that's kind of what they did at the end of last year all of last year so um hopefully you know I'd, I'd love to get him late and then see him move and um in terms of overrated I, I'm just not buying Cesc Fabregas this year um I think Chelsea that Chelsea midfield you know we keep saying has a, a ton of players that we're not sure where they all fit and I think um I think last year was and you didn't get a ton of value out of him but I think last year was was the last that we could really see out of Cesc Fabregas I think you know, Willian, and I think, you know, if Quadrado stays, and Hazard obviously has a spot. Uh, if they play Matic with um, N'Golo Kante, I mean, we're kind of running out of spots for, for Cesc Fabregas to play. So I, I think he's going to be the overrated one of this year. Gentlemen, I can do this all day. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to wrap up this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. <sighs> Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much, Andrew. This has been so much fun. I've gotten so much smarter, uh, and I know effectively how to scroll down two spots a lot faster than I did earlier today. So thank you both, and you can catch us all over the internet, but specifically on Twitter where we answer almost all your questions. John is at Fantasy Gaffer, G-A-F-F-E-R. Andrew is Rotowire Andrew. I'm at Sports by Gotti. Thank you all so much for listening, and catch us next time on the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Soccer Podcast. For more great content, visit rotowire.com/soccer.